Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So this morning we're in week two of our series, little mini-series, Why Church? And the, the, the general idea or the sentence we're kind of structuring this off of, I've got up on our screens here, the sentence we're working off of is this idea, this statement. The church exists first for God's glorification, secondly for the people's sanctification, and thirdly for gospel saturation. Going back to that screen, I forgot to mess that. <laughs> That's all right. The church exists for God's glorification, the people's sanctification, and thirdly, gospel saturation. So that means this morning we're in the second part of this sentence, which is that the church exists for the people's sanctification. By way of reminder, last week we covered that the church exists for God's glorification. The church exists to show primarily the supreme treasure that Christ is. The church exists to show God as the supreme treasure of life. And the church does this not in an effort to make God more glorious than He is, or not to show God a more magnificent than He is. The church gathers to glorify God and to, and to show Him as the supreme treasure because God is that glorious. God is the supreme treasure. God is the goal of what we do, that we would know Him and rejoice in Him because He is the God worthy of knowing and rejoicing in. We, the gathered church, do this because this being of supreme value has brought us into right standing with Him. The church glorifies God because all who are in the church are brought here through the doorway of the gospel. We didn't cover much of the passage last week, this Hebrews 10, so I want to direct your attention back into it for a few moments here this morning. But this text here is, is about the church gathering. We, we know that, looking at verse 25, when he says this, "...not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some." But it all begins with this realization of, of what an amazing reality it is that we have come together by the grace of God and how this grace of God has brought us into fellowship with God and with each other. We enter into these holy places. It says, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places... now. 
We should, have, should not have any confidence to enter the holy places. Um, the idea of a holy and righteous God, if you really see God for who He is, is a terrifying reality. You look through the Old Testament as people encounter these theophanies, which is a fancy word for just God showing up in various places. Abraham, or, uh, Moses at the burning bush and all these realizations, these visions of God. Where do you find the people? They're terrified. And, and the angel has to say, don't be afraid. Why? Because this vision of this holy and righteous God is terrifying in his beauty. Terrifying in who he is. Like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon without the safety railing. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's terrifying because... It goes really bad if you get too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon. Well, this is this magnificent God that we should, as sinners, understanding ourselves not being holy, knowing that we have fallen short, knowing that we have transgressed, knowing that we have lied, we have, we have not profaned God's name, to enter and get close to this holy God is terrifying. Yet... The writer of Hebrews says that we enter into this holy places with confidence. How in the world can we enter into a holy place with confidence? Well, it's through the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. So, we gather, the church, with, with the church gathers under and in the realization of what the gospel has done for us. God in His mercy and in His grace did not wipe sinners off the face of the planet. He could have and would have done us no wrong. But in our rebellion, God creates everything. We rebel. God does not throw us off the face of the planet. He sets in motion a redemption that is accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, lives the righteous life you should have lived but didn't, dies the death that you deserve on a cross, the wrath that should be put upon you is put upon Christ so that everyone who repents confesses themselves, yeah, I am a sinner, yes, I have transgressed God's law, who confesses himself a sinner, trust in this work of Christ on the cross. This righteousness is then given to them and they are brought into full fellowship with God himself. They now have confidence to enter into the holy place. This is what the gospel does for us. The gospel is how the church even has the ability to gather. And so we glorify God. The church, glory, the church exists for God's glorification because when we sit here, we realize how amazing it is that God has brought us into fellowship with himself. That God has rescued us. When we repent and trust in Christ, we become a part of this universal church. And then having become a part of this universal church, through faith in this gospel, we then gather in local expressions. These great big family members have local gatherings. Like if you had a big family, but some of the kids moved to Chicago and some of the kids moved to Dallas and mom and dad, wherever they were, they would, the family would get together. They're all one family, but they'd have local gatherings. That's in a bit what this church is. We have a universal family that has gathered across the globe in local expressions. 
That's why the, the writer of Hebrews says to not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. We gather, we do this to glorify God and to glorify Him by rejoicing in Him and in the gospel message of the forgiveness of sins and salvation through Jesus Christ. It is our justification that brings us into the church and that is at the center of the joy of the church. This joy of our justification being made right with God, the joy of this justification that brings us into the church has real implications. We do not gather and only God is glorified. We gather and when God is truly glorified by us rejoicing in the gospel, it is for our sanctification and our satisfaction. I, the church exists for God's glorification first, most, first and foremost. Secondly, for the people's, I want to say, satisfaction and sanctification. Our justification being made right with God does not terminate on itself, but it begins to work in us sanctification. Now, I know these are these are bigger words. These are, these are Bible words. These aren't just Darren's made up words. These are actual Bible words of justification, being justified, made right in God's sight. And sanctification is essentially your growth in godliness. It's how you become more like Christ. This is your sanctification, the process of being made holy. Justification is the objective reality of when you put faith in Christ, when you trust in His work on the cross for your sins as your Savior, justification is the legal declaration of God that you are justified. You are forgiven of your sins. The Christ's righteousness is imputed, given to you, and you are made right in God's sight. That is your justification. But your justification then works into sanctification. It is when your sinfulness, after your justification, your sinfulness is continually revealed to you and you see in newer and deeper ways the, the residual sin in yourself. Sanctification is the scene of that sinfulness, repenting of it, Trusting in Christ and His sacrifice and ceasing, seeking to stop those sins. That is your sanctification. So the church exists for God's glorification and the people's satisfaction and sanctification. This, what's, this is coming out of is this Hebrews passage. If you still have your Bible open, look at verse 24. When this church gathers together, when they don't forsake neglecting, uh, when they don't forsake gathering together, what do they do? Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That this church gathers together considering how do we stir one another up to love and good works. When the church gathers, we gather for the people's sanctification, their growth and godliness. Paul is saying that it should be our intention as we gather to think about ways to encourage one another to walk in a way that honors God, that is loving to others and eager to please God. So if you have your Bible out, uh, flip back a few chapters to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's back to the left here a little ways. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 1173 in your pew Bible. We're going to go to a few places here in Scripture. So 
Go ahead and get that Bible back out and follow along with me. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Just reading a large section here because it's impossible to miss that this is a conclusion Paul has in his thinking of, of the purpose of the church, that we exist for the people's sanctification. Finally then, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Yes, the Bible speaks about avengers. Uh, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Same word of sanctified, sacred holiness. God has called us not for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul is giving the commands for those who are God's to grow in their walk with him. We ought to walk, meaning we ought to live and please and seek to please God more and more and more. This is what sanctification is. And it's fascinating when he says this statement in verse 3, for this is the will of God. What is the will of God? You ever ask that question? Ever have somebody ask you that question? What's God's will for your life? What does God want for you? What does God want to see happen in your own personal life? You ever think, I mean, that's a big perplexing question as uh, you think about the future and what's going on and always asking the question, what's God's will? What does God want to have happen next? Well, Paul says this, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you might grow to be more like Christ. That your godliness might increase. Here's an answer to what God's will is for you. God's will for you is your sanctification. He desires for you to grow in your godliness. Look on back um, to flip just to the right a little ways to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. It's 1184 in your Bibles whole chapter here in the pastoral epistles of just Paul talking about what it looks like when the church gathers. I'm trying to build the case for you that the church exists, yes, for God's glory and yes, for our sanctification, that we might grow in godliness. Titus chapter 2, to Titus from Paul. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, 
Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teachings, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. All of these roles within the church growing in their godliness. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Your sanctification adorns the doctrine, the gospel of God. For the grace of God has appeared. So this is the sanctification that's going to happen. And why? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The church gathers For the people's sanctification, that we might grow in godliness, in faithfulness to God and what he would have for us. There is a real growth in godliness that comes as a result of our church gathering, of the church and this local church should be happening, gathering together. So then how is this done? That's kind of all the, there's a lot of passages that I ran through and now out of breath. Of just trying to, here's what the Bible says, that when we gather together, we are to be about God's glorification last week and about our sanctification. So then, how is this done? How is this done? Your growth in sanctification means a growth growing in your trust of Christ and your treasuring of Christ. Your trust in God and who He is and your treasuring of God and who He is. Increase your trust in God's Word and increase your treasuring of God for who He is. A few ways that I just sketched out of how we grow with each other in our sanctification. One way that you grow in your sanctification is by consistent consumption of God's Word. John 17, 17, Jesus speaking of his disciples, praying for them in his high priestly prayer. John 17, he prays, sanctify them in truth. He's praying for his people's sanctification. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. There's no way to sanctify yourself without outside of this revelation of God coming to us. There's no better place for this to happen than gathering together with other Christians. It is why we take time every Sunday morning to just read God's word on its own. Consistent consumption of God's word works for your sanctification. It's how you know who God is. It's how you know what God wants for you. It's how you understand everything in the world. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. All of this narrative that of the world that we see in scripture. Your sanctification comes through consistent consumption of God's word. How does the church exist for the people's sanctification? By regular and consistent fellowship. It's so not, I don't want to use that word, it's just so unattractive, this idea of just rigid, always doing the same thing week after week. We have these romantic ideas of, 
you know, spontaneity is what's really exciting and really heartfelt when things are spontaneous. You know, when you, you meet someone and you just, you just happen to enjoy going to the same place and, and it's just all this spontaneity. That's what makes it exciting. We, we, we lose any sort of, um, power. We think the regular, obedient, consistent patterns are not the, uh, the amazing way to do things, but it's not the reality. The reality of life is that how you come to sanctification is through this regular pattern of fellowship. Does anyone in this faith family really know you? Do you have honest conversations with people in this faith family? The way that we are about your sanctification, our sanctification, is through this regular pattern of getting together, talking with one another, knowing one another, having fellowship with one another. You know, the easiest way, I mean, I suppose, I was thinking about, the easiest way to be sanctified, uh, to grow in your godliness and your love for others, is to go be a hermit somewhere. Because it's real easy to love your neighbor if you're living in a tree stump in an island somewhere because you ain't got no neighbors. And that's an easy way to, to just nail your sanctification. I have grown so much in my godliness, I got rid of all my neighbors. I never talked to anybody else. But it's, it's a different deal. Real sanctification is showing up, putting your lives together with other lives, with other people, other believers, and then trying to iron out all of the issues that come from personality and conflict and things like that. So your, the church exists for your sanctification by consistent consumption of God's word, by regularly gathering together. And it's why, it's why we press for and have been working on with the elders membership here. This idea of we, we are accountable to one another. We are invested in one another. We care for you. We want you to be growing in your sanctification, to be growing in your Christ-likeness. We gather for each other's sanctification. And if we aren't here, and if we aren't getting to know each other, how can we help that sanctification happen? If, if your sanctification is being stunted, God's will for your life is being halted. If God's will for you is your sanctification, and we aren't gathered and, and, and growing together and challenging one another, then your sanctification is stunted. Is stunted. We, and, and that means God's will is not being walked out in a very real way in your life. And we have to care about that. The church exists for the people's sanctification. But I said also, the church exists for the people's satisfaction and sanctification. Now, I just have sanctification up there. But in my mind, those two, I want you to think about those two going together. And it seems like, no, there's no way they can, right? Because if, if you're talking about, some people would think, if we're about the church gathering for our sanctification, our growth and godliness, here's what many people would, many people would think. Sounds like it's a great opportunity for the church to get all high and mighty and start saying, you need to shape up and you need to shape up and you need to shape up and you need to get right and all these sorts of things. And, and we're going to be all about sanctification, which means we're going to build this gloriously holy group that looks down on everyone else. Are they right? Are we just about sanctification or are we about this sanctification that runs alongside with people's satisfaction? Sanctification and satisfaction. How can the church be about sanctification and about satisfaction? And the reason why that, that doesn't work in our minds, another reason is we think satisfaction means doing exactly what I want to do when I want to do it. 
And so I'm going for my own satisfaction, which means that if, if God has, has written this, these laws out, this is how I'm to live my life, but I desire to live this way, my satisfaction and my sanctification are separate. I can either be sanctified, doing what's right and growing in godliness, or I can do what I want to do and I can be satisfied. Is that the reality of what we do here at church? Are we just trying to say, don't you ever think about being satisfied ever again, throw it all away, and just be holy, just be sanctified? Is that the reality? And I want to say as loud as I can, That is not the reality of your sanctification. What God is interested in is, yes, your sanctification. And along with that is your real and true satisfaction. Your real and true satisfaction. Sanctification has everything to do with your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Your sanctification has everything to do with your satisfaction in the one who is truly satisfying. It has everything to do with your satisfaction. We're not trying to trick you when we talk about becoming more Christ-like into getting rid of your satisfaction. What we're trying to convince ourselves up is to pursue what would give us true satisfaction. Who will, who will truly satisfy? We're not just trying to kill our desire to be satisfied. We're trying to take that desire for satisfaction and put it on a place where it can actually be fulfilled in Christ alone. We pursue sanctification because we are seeking satisfaction in the one who truly satisfies. There are a thousand satisfactions that are pursued in this world. And they are sinful and should be rejected by the Christian. There are thousands of satisfactions that are pursued across the globe this morning, all over our county this weekend. There are thousands of satisfactions that are pursued that are sinful and should be rejected. But it's not naked rejection of the idea of satisfaction. Get the distinction I'm trying to make there? It isn't that we're saying, never be satisfied. Just be sanctified. We're saying your satisfactions are in a thousand wrong ways. There is one place for you to find true satisfaction. And it's in your sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness. It's not naked rejection of satisfaction, but a rejecting of temporal and insufficient satisfaction for an eternal insufficient satisfaction found in Jesus. It's found there because when you're pursuing your sanctification... It forces you to remember the gospel over and over and over again. Because as you pursue all these things we read off here, these lists of of how you are to conduct yourself, as you live life with one another and and you, you meet someone in church and they don't say hi to you in the right way. I know this ever happens probably to anybody else. I've heard stories from people, you know, you meet someone and, and they, didn't, they didn't, they said hello, but it was kind of like, hello, you know, I mean, and you can tell the difference. You, for some reason, you have the ability to see in people's hearts and you're like, they said hi, but what they meant was I'm not that happy. And then you begin to get annoyed and irritated and think, and you build all this, this whole idea of all that's gone wrong and, and it fosters um, not love in your heart toward your neighbor, but um, kind of you look down on them or you're annoyed with them or you're upset with them. Then so you're, you're trying to pursue sanctification, but then you find in your own heart, because you've interacted with people here at the church, other sinners, oh no, I still have a lot of problems to wrestle through. I'm not sanctified. I'm not holy. 
Here I am again. I'm at church trying to do the right thing and someone's annoyed me and I'm frustrated and I'm irritated and, and now I'm, I find out in pursuing my sanctification, what have I figured out? I'm still sinful. And what does that force you to do? What do you do with sinfulness? There's only one remedy to enter into holy places when you are a sinful creator. It is through the veil of the blood of Jesus Christ. It forces you to return again and again to your satisfaction that is found in Jesus. Such that you come to communion. You come to church. You come to your fellow Christians and you say... I, I've done it again. I'm thinking wrongly of this person. I'm acting hateful. I'm, I'm upset. I'm holding grudges, repenting and looking to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that you'd be forgiven of your sins and made right, reconciled to God. And you do that for your satisfaction in Jesus, your sanctification, your growth in godliness and your satisfaction in him. We cannot lose sight of the gospel. It produces our sanctification and it produces our sanctification by finding our satisfaction in Jesus Christ over everything else. Practically, where do we go from here? Build deep and meaningful relationships here. Right here. So you, our sanctuary is arranged funny. It makes you awkwardly have to kind of look at people at the same time when you sit here. <laughs> These are the people that that God has providentially arranged to be in your life for you to make friendships with, wrestle with, argue with, love, fight with, and and argue and agree and like and, and all these things together for your sanctification. Show up and connect here. Cross generationally. Don't just look, is there another person my exact age? No. Is there, they're too young or they're too old. I don't want, no. This church is one together. Practically, where do we go for your sanctification? Build deep and meaningful friendships here. Show up and connect. Secondly, work hard for your own sanctification. Is that even a thought in your head that I should be looking at my life? Where are areas of my life where sin is still plaguing me? Where are attitudes that I have that are, that are not loving? Seek and work hard for your own sanctification. Is it a priority personally for you as well as corporately? Practically, we build deep and meaningful friendships here. We work hard for our own sanctification. Thirdly, all while working hard for your satisfaction in Jesus Christ above everything else. Finding Him as the greatest treasure. All things become rubbish to me for the sake of being found in Christ and knowing Him, Paul writes in Philippians, that I would know Christ in the fellowship of His suffering. I forget all things compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Work hard for your true satisfaction. Ask for eyes. God, show me the satisfactions I'm pursuing in thousands of things that will fail me, that I might pursue the one true satisfaction that is found in Jesus Christ. We work at this together as we gather and when we come forward for communion. At this table, we confess our sinfulness, we confess the reality that we've treasured things we shouldn't treasure throughout the weeks, throughout the week, and here we are again to repent, to look to Christ and His righteousness that we would be forgiven. At this table, we confess, we trust, and we treasure Christ above all else. Let's do this and pray. Father, help us in this place. We want to be a church that is glorifying to You. 
And that is sanctifying for us, God, for our ultimate satisfaction in you. As we turn now to a time of coming to your table, God, I pray that it would be an authentic response to who you are and to what you have done for us. Confessing ourselves as desperate for your forgiveness. Confessing ourselves as worthy of your justice and wrath in our own sinful lives. And rejoicing, resting, trusting in the work of Christ, his broken body and shed blood for us. Give us eyes to see it. Give us hearts that rejoice in it. Sanctify us, God, through this meal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.